Welcome to the Creative Times Summit podcast, where each episode brings you a talk from our annual convening for thinkers, dreamers, and doers working at the intersection of art and politics. Find out more at creativetime.org. This summit podcast features poet and activist Birgitta Jansdotter. Birgitta is a member of the Icelandic Parliament's Pirate Party. In 2011, she went to trial against the U.S. to protect the privacy of social media accounts from government investigation. She spoke at our 2014 summit that took place in Stockholm. Hi. Um, I helped co-produce a video called Collateral Murder. Uh, and this video we just watched uh, ironically explained really well why the people, the soldiers in that helicopter uh, could shoot and kill the civilians and the Reuters staff with such lack of compassion. If you haven't seen the video that was courageously leaked uh, to WikiLeaks by Chelsea Manning, I encourage you to see it. You can find it on YouTube and it's called Collateral Murder. Uh, I am... Uh, as a, as, a, as a consequence of being an active uh, Wikileaks volunteer while being a parliamentarian in Iceland, um, I had my share of um, the, uh, the eye in the sky following me um, and uh, had um, an experience of the US Department of Justice wanting to have something that many people don't uh, connect with, which is called metadata. Uh, and I had to take the US government to court to try to stop them from having my metadata, my Twitter metadata. Uh, and uh, I didn't really realize myself when uh, they demanded to have this information what it truly meant until I uh, familiarized myself with what it does, does it mean. And the only way to describe it is that the FBI went into my home and they went through everything. Uh, every letter, every transaction, everybody I had communicated with, uh, but they didn't go through my front door. They went through my back door, uh, through the internet door. And I think that in many ways we, because it's been happening gradually, that uh, our privacy has been sort of vanished and nobody really understood until Snowden came forward, that we don't feel that it's important to stop this sort of mass surveillance. Um, perhaps because we still lack the language for it, or the way to associate it with what we previously think is um, important uh, in our sort of offline world. I think one of the reasons many people that used to live in East Germany um, have been vocal about it, uh, both through political um, elections of the uh, Pirate Party in Germany a few years ago and other means, is because they still remember how it felt. How it felt to be constantly under op observation by somebody they didn't know who was, if it was their friend or foe. And um, I very often, when I talk about these things, uh, I'm sort of an accidental parliamentarian. I am really just a poet. <laughs> and so I see myself as a, an artist in parliament, uh, a poetician. And, um, um, and one of the very few geeks there. So um, 
I realized very early on, whenever I would try to explain these issues of the democracy in the digital era, that people simply didn't understand it. And uh, so I've tried to hack myself through the system and try to understand its weaknesses and strengths um, uh, in order to report how we can get through the holes in it uh, and uh, reclaim our power. Because um, one of the things I've always been aware of, uh, being also an activist, uh, is that um, I not only can change the world, I have the responsibility to change the world. And I can do it in little ways or big ways, it doesn't really matter, but I have the responsibility to be engaged. And that is why being here, both yesterday and today, has been such an incredible inspiration. I'm just taking so much back home uh, to process and to be inspired, to maybe try to inspire others to do similar uh, actions. And um, we are here, you know, in this section talking about, you know, art in the age of surveillance. And uh, I have met many artists um, that have tried to tackle this problem in trying to um, get the rest of us to become aware of how massively uh, destructive this is for our democratic process. Um, but I'm primarily a big lover of the concept of democracy as the meaning of the world, word democracy means the rule of the people or the rule of the mob. And I went inside uh, as I helped co-create uh, a couple of political movements uh, in the last few years to ensure that we would, in the wake of the huge crisis we had in Iceland, that we would have the legal means to influence, to call for national referendums and to get rid of uh, corrupt politicians without having to stand outside a house and throw eggs at it. Um, and in this process I've learned so much and I think it is important to occasionally for artists to go inside the system and try to at least understand how it works from inside uh, and to be engaged like that without becoming the embodiment of power that is there. I have never really realized that I am a parliamentarian and whenever I'm in that house I know that I'm still okay because most of the people are really uncomfortable having me there. <laughs> uh, and um, I'm sort of the Anarcho Clown, I don't know if you're familiar with the Anarcho Clowns. Um, I'm sort of that type in there, in their eyes. And definitely the, the annoying fly in the tent. But I really love the concept of people being engaged uh, and to create the tools for people's engagement. And we did a really beautiful thing in Iceland um, after the financial collapse. We had the third largest financial collapse in Iceland uh, in 2008. Uh, and in many ways it was horrible, in other ways it was really good. <laughs> uh, because uh, it, you know, in times of crisis, it is the only time we have as societies and individuals to do that very necessary transformative change. And so a revolution is not worth anything if there is no evolutionary process as a part of it. Uh, then it's just an uprising. So um, we thought we had a revolution in Iceland, and we still might have had a revolution in Iceland, uh, I don't know, but um, 
one of the first things and one of the big demands of the people that were protesting uh, outside the parliament was that we wanted to have a constitution written by and for the people of Iceland. And that process started with a, an amazing gathering like, uh, of 1,000 people that were randomly selected uh, through the uh, National Registry from all over Iceland. Uh, there are only 320,000 people living in Iceland. Uh, so 1,000 people out of that whole bunch is actually quite a, a, a high percentage. And because it was in the wake of the crisis, it sort of brought forward all the best, um, all the best elements of what sort of nation we wanted to be, and a humbleness that Icelanders sometimes lack. And it was... The words that stood out of it were words and meanings that made me actually feel comfortable about being associated uh, with one particular nation at the time. And, um, and it was about uh, equality, integrity, uh, transparency, and so forth. And um, it was then written by a constitutional council that was elected uh, uh, as a brand new constitution. However, the politicians got in the way uh, during the last steps of it, and uh, it's now in a coma. But the, and then Icelanders decided to elect the worst government ever, the same people that got us in the mess. Uh, but we have now uh, fresh protests that are quite big, and so maybe eventually we will get this constitution is sort of in a coma. But in it, there were quite important elements. Elements like uh, that net neutrality was a human right, um, that freedom of information, uh, very similar to the Freedom of Information Act you have in Sweden, was to be integrated in the Constitution, and, um, and so many other really good, strong, modern elements that we need to have. But I think the most beautiful element about the constitutional process was that we, the people, were discussing who we wanted to be in the future, what sort of seeds we wanted to plant for the next generations. And I think that is one of the things I'm bringing back home, is about planting these different seeds uh, that we don't know exactly how they're going to come up. But we really, really, really need to start to think collectively and talk collectively about how we want the future to be. And I encourage each and every one of you to discuss with the person next to you or whomever you will meet after this segment, what sort of future do I want to have uh, in the next 50 years? Thank you very much. Lead support for this podcast comes from the Trust for Mutual Understanding, Blum Media International, and the Blum Family Foundation. Additional creative time support is provided by the Ford Foundation, Lamben Foundation, Toby Devin Lewis, and the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, as well as Creative Time's generous trustees and individual donors. Since 1972, Creative Time has worked with artists to contribute to the dialogues, debates, and dreams of our times. To show your support for Creative Time, please visit creativetime.org join.